Welcome to the Freemasons Podcast, coming to you live from Morning Star Lodge number 47. Leave your aprons at the door, brethren. Freemasons podcast again with another fireside reading of the Lost Book of Enki. This is Wright Marshall Brother George Mudry, and uh, we're going to get into the second tablet. Uh, last time I did the synopsis of the second tablet, I'll read it again. But Alalu's flight in a nuclear armed spacecraft, he sets his course to Key, the seventh planet Earth, why he expects to find gold on Earth, the solar system's cosmology, Tiamat's water and gold the appearance of Nibiru from outer space, the celestial battle and Tiamat's breakup, Earth, half of Tiamat inherits her waters and gold, Kingu, Tiamat's main satellite, becomes the moon of Earth, Nibiru is destined forever to orbit the sun, Alalu's arriving and landing, Alalu's discovering gold, holding Nibiru's fate in his hands. So here we go, the second tablet. To the snow-hued Earth, Alalu set his course. By a secret from the beginning, he chose his destination. To regions forbidden, Alalu made his way. No one has gone there before. No one at the hammered bracelet a crossing had attempted. A secret from the beginning, Alalu's course had determined. The fate of Nibiru in his hands had placed by the scheme his kingship to make universal. On Nibiru, exile was certain. Again, if you remember the last uh, tablet, <clears throat> he got his ass kicked by Anu, and he had to run the hell off the planet fast. Their death itself, he was chancing. In his scheme, risk was in the journey. Eternal glory of success was the reward. Riding like an eagle, Alalu, the heavens scanned. Below, Nibiru was a ball in voidness hanging. Alluring was its figure. Its radiance emblazoned the surrounding heavens. Its measure was enormous, its belching fire blazed forth, its life-sustaining envelope, its hue a redness like a sea churning. In the myths, the breach was distinct, like a darkened wound. So what he's saying is he's basically describing what Nibiru looked like. He's saying it's a red-hewn planet, and uh, some people have surmised that that's what Planet X looks like, or would look like. And he's basically talking about the breach, which would be the hole in their atmosphere, is like a, a darkened wound. So it's like a, a red dot, or excuse me, a, a black dot on the, you know, looking at Nibiru from a distance. He looked down again. The wide breach turned to into a small tub. 
He looked again. Nibiru's great ball turned into a small fruit. The next time he looked, in the wide, dark sea, Nibiru disappeared. So he's talking about he's watching Nibiru uh, get further and further away from him. Remorse the heart of Alalu grasp. Fear held him in his hands. A decision to hesitate he, uh, turned. So he basically at the last moment was like, yeah, no, there's, there's no way I can turn around now. To halt in his tracks, Alalu considered. Then from audacity to re decision, he returned. A hundred leagues, a thousand leagues, the chariot was coursing. Ten thousand leagues, the chariot was journeying. In the wide heavens, darkness was the darkest. In the far away, distant eyes, uh, distant stars, their eyes were blinking. More leagues, Alalu traveled. Then the sight of great joy met his gaze in the expanse of the heavens the celestial emissary was greeting little gaga the one who shows the way by its circuit alalu was greeting to him a welcome extended with a leaning gate before gate g-a-i-t before and after the celestial onto was destined to travel to face forward to face backward with two faces it was endowed uh, so he's basically describing little Gaga, if you would say that that's Pluto. Uh, and then onto would be the next planet inward. Its appearance to first greet Alalu was as good omen as he once considered. By the celestial gods he was welcomed. So was his understanding. In his chariot, Alalu followed Ga Gaga's path to the second god of the heavens it was directing. Soon Celestial Antu, and its name by King Enshar was given, in the deeps darkness was looming. <clears throat> Blue as pure waters was her hue, of the upper waters she was co uh, commence commencement. So he's already describing what the planet looked like. Blue. And this is funny because, again, this is 5,000-year-old Sumerian tablets, and they're already talking about planets that weren't discovered until almost in the 1900s, the late 1900s. Alalu, by the sight's beauty, was enchanted. To course at a distance, he continued. In the far beyond, Antu's spouse began to shimmer. By the size, Antu's equal. So he's basically saying that Uranus is about the same size as Neptune. Pretty much truth. As his spouses doubled, by greenish, bluish, was On distinguished. On was the planet. A-N. A dazzling host encircled on its side. With firm grounds they were provided. To the two celestials, Alalu bade a fond farewell, the path of Gaga still discerning. The way it was shown to the olden master, of whom was once the counselor, to Anshar, the foremost prince of the heavens, could, the course was a turning. By the speeding chariot, Alalu, then ensnaring pull of Anshar, could tell. With bright rings of dazzling colors, the chariot, it was enchanting. So here we go. We're talking about Saturn. Bright rings of dazzling colors, the chariot, it was enchanting. His gaze, Alalu, to one side quickly turned. That which shows the way with might he diverted. 
a sight most awesome than to him appeared. In the faraway heavens, the family's bright star he discerned. So he's now starting to see the sun. A sight most frightening, the revelation followed. A giant monster in its destiny moving upward, oh, excuse me, upon the sun, a darkening cast. Kinshar, its creator, swallowed. So uh, I apologize. He's talking about J Jupiter. Frightening was the occurrence, an evil omen, Alalu indeed thought. The giant Kinsar, foremost of the firm planets, its size was overwhelming. Swirling storms obscured its face, colored spots they moved about. A host being counting, some quickly, some slowly, the celestial god encircled. A host beyond counting. What does that mean? Well, uh, I believe he's talking about moons. He's talking about the different moons of Jupiter. Uh, again, he was a host beyond counting. In other words, you can't count how many freaking moons are on there. Uh, some quickly, some slowly, the celestial god encircled. Troublesome were their ways. Back and forth they were surging. Kinsar itself a spell was casting. Divine lightnings it was thrusting. So he's basically talking about the storms on Jupiter. His direction was distracted. His doings became confused. Then the deepest darkening began to depart. Kinshar, on its destiny, continued the circuit. Slowly moving its veil from the shining sun it lifted, the one from the beginning came into full view. Joy in Alalu's heart was not lasting. Beyond the fifth planet, the utmost danger was lurking, so indeed he knew. The hammered bracelet ahead was raining. It, to demolish, it was awaiting. So, I mean, here you go. You're talking about, uh, they're saying the fifth planet uh, being Jupiter, or uh, what he calls it, Kinshar. Um, there's the fifth planet, and then the hammered bracelet, which would be your asteroid belt, is right beyond that. Again, this is amazing. 5,000-year-old texts, and they're talking about this. I mean, how, how do modern science or modern theologies don't see this or recognize this? It, it blows my mind. Of rocks and boulders, it was together hammered. Like orphans with no mother, they banded together. Surging back and forth, a bygone destiny they f followed. Their doings were loathsome, troubling were their ways. The bureau's probing chariots, like prayed lions, they devoured. So he's talking about the back in the day when you know they decided to send chariots to go look for gold in the hammered bracelet, and they got freaking destroyed. The precious gold needed for surviving, they refused to dislodge. The chariot of Alalu toward the hammered bracelet was headlong moving. The ferocious boulders in close combat to boldly face. Alalu, the firestones in his chariot, more strongly stirred up. That which shows the way, with steady hands he directed. The ominous boulders against the chariot charged forward, like an enemy in battle attacking. Toward them, Alalu, a death-dealing missile... From the chariot let loose. <laughs> a death-dealing missile. Um, again, if you want to get into the um, Mahabharata in India, uh, it's talked about the same thing. Basically, missiles being fired. Then another and another against the enemy, the terror weapons he thrust. A fright, as frightening, frightened warriors, the boulders turned back. A path for Alalu granting. So he basically blasted a hole through the asteroid belt. Like by a spell, the hammered bracelet, a doorway to the king, it opened. 
In the dark deepness, Alalu the heavens could clearly see. By the bracelet's ferocity, he was not defeated. His mission was not ended. In the distance, the sun's fiery ball, its brilliance was sending forth. Welcoming rays Alalu, toward Alalu, it was imitating. Imitate, emitting, Jesus. I told you I suck at reading, but I'm doing my best there. Before it, a red-brown planet on its circuit was coursing. The sixth in the count of the celestial gods it was. Here we go, Mars. Alalu could but glimpse it. On its destined course from Alalu's path, it was quickly moving. The snow-hued earth appeared, the seventh in the celestial count. And if you look at ancient cuneiform uh, cylinder seals, um, it basically depicts Earth as the seventh planet. Well, if you're coming from the outside of the atmosphere in, counting Pluto, yeah, we're the seventh planet. Toward the planet, Alalu set his course to a destination most inviting. Smaller than Nibiru, it was, was its alluring ball. Weaker than Nibiru's, it was attracting net. So he's talking about the atmosphere ain't that strong. Its atmosphere thinner than Nibiru, Nibiru's was, Clouds were within it swirling. Below, the earth to the three regions was divided. Snow white at the top and the bottom, blue and brown in between. Deftly, Alalu spread the chariot's arresting wings around the earth's ball to circle. Interesting. They're even talking about spreading the wings of his ship. In the middle region, dry lands and watery oceans he could discern. The beam that penetrates, and again, this is all capitalized, which means that he's he's describing what they're writing, which basically breaks down to the beam that penetrates. Downward, he directed, Earth's inners to detect. So he basically had LIDAR, if you will. Um, I have attained it, ecstatically, he shouted. Gold, much gold. The beam has indicated it was beneath the dark-hued region in... In the waters, it was too. With pounding heart, Alalu, a decision was contemplating. Shall he on dry land his chariot bring down, perchance to crash and die? Shall he to the waters his course direct, to perchance in oblivion sink? Which way shall he survive? Will he the treasured gold discover? In the eagle's seat, Alalu was not stirring. To fate hands the chariot he entrusted. Fully caught in earth's attracting net, the chariot was moving faster. Its spreading wings became a glow. Earth's atmosphere like an oven was. Yeah, no shit, coming into the freaking atmosphere. Then the chariot shook, emitting a mortifying thunder. Again, watch our spaceships as they come in. Watch our NASA planes as they, uh, our NASA spaceships as they come into our atmosphere. Same damn thing. With abruptness, the chariot crashed, with a suddenness altogether stopping. Senseless from the shaking, stunned by the crash, Alalu was without moving. Then he opened his eyes and knew he was among the living. At the planet of gold, he victoriously arrived. Now this is the account of Earth and its gold, and its account of the beginning and how the celestial gods created were. So he's talking about how the planets were created. So this is pretty much the story of how our atmosphere came to be. And this is interesting. Uh, I want you to pick up on a lot of Bible, uh, a lot of stories from Genesis. In the beginning, 
when in the above the gods in the heavens had not been called into being, and in the below, key, the firm ground, had not been named. So earth hasn't even come into being yet. Alone in the void there existed Apsu, the primordial begetter. In the heights of the above, the celestial gods had not yet been created. In the waters of the below, the celestial guys, gods had not yet appeared. So this is where you get your separation of, uh, you know, God separating the, the waters from above to the firmament. This is where you get your Bible story about that. Separated the, separated the waters. Above and below, uh, let's go here. Above and below, the gods had not yet formed. Destinies were not yet decreed. No reed had yet been formed. No marshland had appeared. Alone did Apsu reign in the void. So clearly there's this big giant sun. That's it. Apsu is what they're calling the sun. Then by his winds, the primordial waters were mingled. A divine and artful spell Apsu put upon the water's casts. In the voids of the deep, he poured a, the sound sleep. Tiamat, the mother of all, as a spouse for him he fashioned. A celestial mother, mother, a watery beauty, she was indeed. So he's talking about that somehow a watery planet was formed. And it was called Tiamat. As his messenger, he, appoint, uh, he him appointed a gift for Tiamat to present. A gift resplendent to his spouse, Apsu granted. A shining metal, everlasting gold for her to alone possess. So he's basically saying that this watery planet had a ton of gold on it. Then it was that the two... Uh, then it was that... The, I'm sorry, guys. I apologize. The, the reading of this is extremely difficult because, again, it's being not only read off Sumerian tablets and trying to be understood, but then translated into English, which is what I'm trying to read. So some of these things are just sound backwards. But then it was that... The two their waters mingled, divine children between them to bring forth. Male and female were the celestials created. Lahamu and Lamu by their names were called. Uh, Lamu being Mars, Lahamu being Venus. In the below did Absu and Tiamat make them an abode. So they picked their, their orbits in a sense. Before they had grown in age and in stature, in the waters above Ansar and Kinsar were formed. So they're talking about the planets past, well, the hammered bracelet or Tiamat. Um, Ansar and Kinsar were formed, um, which would be your Jupiter and Saturn. Surpassing their brothers in size they were. As a celestial couple, the two were fashioned. A sun, on, in the distance, in the distant heavens was their heir. Then Antu to be his spouse, and An's equal was brought forth. As a boundary of the upper waters, their abode was made. I just, before I continue on, I just want to say that, uh, you know, you can consider this mythology, but the interesting part of this, and yes, for, for some sort of an example, it is mythology, but it's interestingly enough that the Sumerians never gave credit that they learned this they give credit that they were taught this by the Anunnaki. So this is information handed down. And how the Anunnaki, their gods, knew about this? Well, we haven't even begun to even think about that. So this is when I said this is in no way 
trying to change anybody's pers perspective on what their God is, or if there is a, you know, just because God, just because, you know, uh, these gods, the Anunnaki, are said to have created us, who the hell created them? So, I mean, is it still going ahead and saying that there's no God? No, because somebody obviously created them and then bestowed them with this knowledge. <coughs> Apologies. By names they were called, the family of Absu with Mumu and Tiamat they formed. So this is planets that, I mean, Mumu, I, I, I'm not 100% sure what Mumu is. Maybe that might be Mercury. Um, at the time, Nibiru had not yet been seen. The Earth had not yet been called into being. So Earth didn't exist at this point. Mingled were their heavenly waters. By the hammered bracelet, they were not yet separated. So there was no asteroid belt at this point. At that time, circuits were not yet fashioned. The destinies of the gods were not yet firmly decreed. The celestial kinfolk banded together. Erratic were their ways. So they're basically saying that their orbits were all over the friggin' place. Their ways to Absu were verily loathsome. Tiamat, getting no rest, was aggrieved and raged. A throng to march by her side she formed. A growling, raging host against the sons of Absu she brought forth. With all eleven of this kind she brought forth, she made the firstborn Kingu chief among them. So... Uh, our moon basically his name is Kingu when the celestial gods did this did he, did this oh god sorry again uh, the writing of this is like a fucking 12 year old did it when the celestial gods of this did hear for counsel they rallied so they're basically describing a celestial battle but they're putting it in a battle form as if these things actually have a conscience to do uh, to, to what they're doing Kingu, she was elevated to rank as on command to him she gave to each other, they said. A tablet of destiny to her chest she has attracted, his own circuit to acquire. So basically what they're saying is Tiamat, with her gravity, somehow gave the moon, or Kingu, its own orbit at one point. To battle against the gods, her offspring, Kingu, she instructed. Who shall take up, who should stand up to Tiamat? The gods asked of each other. None in their circuits stepped forward. None a weapon for battle would bear. At that time, in the heart of the deep, a god was in, engendered. In the chamber of fates, a place of destinies, was he born. By an artful creator, he was fashioned. The son of his own son he was. Now that's interesting because right now they're talking about uh, they're talking about Nibiru being born in a sense. It's it says in a chamber of fates, a place of destinies where he was born. Um, by an artful creator he was fashioned. The son of his own son he was, and it's interesting because there are many people who that I mean, especially scientists who come out and they say that you know most star systems most solar systems are actually binary stars uh so is it possible that our solar system is binary we just don't we're too far away from the other sun interesting which would in a sense give this planet nibiru or planet x if you will its own elliptical orbit 
from the deep he was engendered a god from his family in rushing departed so he's coming from another solar system or another uh, binary sun if you will a gift of his creator the seed of life with him away he carried to the void he set his course a new destiny he was seeking to first uh, the first to glimpse the wandering celestial was the ever watchful onto alluring was his figure a radiance he was beaming lordly was his was his gait g-a-i-t exceedingly great was his course of all the gods he was the loftiest surpassing theirs his circuit was so he's lofty he's the furthest away <clears throat> Sorry, I lost my damn place here. The first to glimpse him was Antu. Her breast by child never sucked. So he's a planet not of these celestial bodies. Come be my son, she called to him. Let me your mother become. She cast her net and made him welcome. Made his course for the purpose suited. And again, if you break this down, yes, this sounds like uh, mythology, but if you break it down in current, uh, in current thinking, I mean... The gravity of Antu, which would be the sun, uh, is pulling in this planet Nibiru, or planet X, whatever you want to call it, into our solar system. Her words filled the newcomer's heart with pride. The one who would nurse him made him haughty. His head to double size grew larger. Four members at his sides he sprouted. He moved his lips in acceptance, a god fire from the blazing forth. Toward Antu his course he turned his face to on soon to show when on saw him my son my son with exclamation he shouted to leadership you shall be consigned a host by your side will be your servants let nibiru be your name as crossing forever known and that's what nibiru means place of the crossing and that's what He's basically saying that it's been called Place of the Crossing. It's crossing across other planets into our solar system. He bowed to Nibiru, turning his face in Nibiru's passage. He spread his net for Nibiru's four servants he brought forth, his host by his side, to be the south wind, the north wind, the east wind, and the west wind. With joyful heart on to Anshar, his forebearer, the arrival of Nibiru announced. Anshar... Upon this hearing, Gaga, who was by his side, an emissary set forth. So they're basically describing, and again, some of this is hard to understand, and I don't want to lose people along the way, but what he's basically describing is the planets and how they're aligning with this, in, with this you know, invader planet, basically, coming into our atmosphere. We all know that, you know, there's, um, the gravity plays a major factor in this, and if something, it's been even said that, you know, uh, if another planet came into our solar system, how we would be, you know, our, gravita our gravitational pull would be upset. Uh, so that's pretty much what they're describing here. Words of wisdom to on deliver, to task Nibiru to assign. He charged Gaga to give voice at what was in his heart, to on thus say, Tiamat, she who bore us, now detests us. She that has set up a warring host she his furious with rage against the gods her children eleven warriors march by her side kingu among them she elevated 
a destiny to his chest she attached without right. No god among us against her venom can stand up. Her host in us all has fear established. Let Libiru become our avenger. Let him vanquish Tiamat. Let him save our lives. For him decree fate. Let him go forth and face our mighty foe. To An, Gaga departed. He bowed before him. The words of Ansar he repeated. On to Nibiru, his forebearer, words repeated. Gaga's message to him revealed. Again, they're, they're breaking this down as if it's a story amongst the planet celestial gods. But, uh, I mean, they're, they're breaking this down as it's a, a story amongst celestial gods with a conscience. But this is the best way that, I guess, you know, ancient people could... Yeah, I mean, first off, it's knowledge passed down, but this is the best way they can understand it. I do think it's fascinating that Sumerians knew about the planets and how the solar system came to be uh, 5,000 years, and we still, to this day, have no idea. But this was a story, apparently, passed down to them from the Anunnaki. So let's continue. Uh, to the words Nibiru with wonder listened, of the mother who... Would her children devour with fascination, he heard. His heart, without saying, to set out against Tiamat had already prompted. He opened his mouth to An and Gaga and thus said, If indeed I am to vanquish Tiamat to s your lives to save, convene the gods to assemble. My, destination, my destiny proclaim supreme. Let all the gods agree in the council to make me a leader, bow to my command. When Lamu and Lahamu heard this, they cried out in anguish. Strange was the demand. Its meaning cannot be fathomed. Thus they said. The gods who decree fates with each other consulted. To make Nibiru their avenger, they all agreed. To him an exalted fate decreed. From this day on, unchallengeable shall be your commandments to him, they said. No one among us gods shall transgress your bounds. What I assuming this means is, is that no other planet will cross across its orbit. So I think it's safe to say that we don't have to worry about this celestial battle ever happening again from what they're basically describing. We shall not transgress your bounds. Basically, I mean, we're not going to stand in your way. So if you're going to break this down in, again, planetary thing, you know, Nibiru has an orbit just like all of our planets. And my assumption is, is that what they're saying is that no planet's going to be in the way of it again. Go, Nibiru, be our avenger. They fashioned him for a princely circuit toward Tiamat to proceed. They gave Nibiru blessings. They gave Nibiru awesome weapons. Anshar, three more winds of Nibiru brought forth the evil wind, the whirlwind, and the matchless wind. Kinsar, with a blazing flame, filled his body, a net to enfold Tiamat therewith. Thus ready for battle, Nibiru toward Tiamat directly set his course. Now this is the account of the celestial battle and how Earth had come to be and of Nibiru's destiny. So this is how Earth was created, according to the Sumerians. The Lord went forth. His fate course he followed. Toward the raging Tiamat he set his face. A spell with his lips he uttered. As a cloak of protection, he, the pulser, and the emitter put on. I wonder what the hell that means. Uh, but they are capitalized, which means they were actually 
a word that was used in the Sumerian tablets that would not translate over to English. With the fearsome radiance, his head was crowned. On the right, he posted the smiter. On the left, the repeller he placed. The seven winds, his hosts of helpers, like the storm he set forth toward the raging Tiamat. And again, Tiamat is a watery planet. I uh, just want to be clear, that's, uh, I'm assuming, where the asteroid belt, you know, Tiamat was where the asteroid belt is now. Toward the raging Tiamat, he rushed, clamoring for battle. The gods thronged about him. Then from his path they departed. To scan Tiamat and her helpers, alone he was advancing. The scheme of Kingu, her host's commander to conceive. When he saw valiant Kingu, blurred became his vision. As he gazed upon the monsters with direction, was distracted. His course became upset. His doings were confused. So what he's basically saying is that... Uh, Tiamat's um, orbit was getting upset because of Kingu uh, or something along those lines. Uh, Tiamat banded tightly, uh, Tiamat's band tightly her encircled with terror they trembled. Tiamat to her roots gave a shudder, a mighty roar she admitted. On Nibiru she cast a spell, engulfing him with her charms. <clears throat> The issue between them was joined. The battle was unavoided. Face to face they came. Tiamat and Nibiru against each other they were advancing. So they're basically talking about two planets who are about to smash into each other. As they approached for battle, they pressed on for single combat. The Lord spread his net to encompass her. He cast it. With fury, Tiamat cried out. Like one possessed, she lost her senses. And again, if you imagine this in modern terms, the two planets were going to smash into one another, uh, it would be insane. Uh, I don't even want to think about what happened. You could watch this shit in the History Channel. The evil wind which had been behind him, Nibiru drove forward in her face he let loose. She opened her mouth in the evil wind to swallow, but could not close her lips. The evil wind charged her belly, and in her innards it made its way. Her innards were howling. Her body was descended. Her mouth was opened wide. Through the opening, Nibiru shot a brilliant arrow, lightning most divine. It pierced her innards. Her belly it tore apart. It tore into her womb and split her apart, uh, split apart her heart. Thus, uh, Having thus subdued her, her life breath he extinguished. In other words, the planet destroyed. Nibiru stood strong. Tiamat's not so much. The lifeless body Nibiru surveyed like a slaughtered carcass Tiamat now was. This is freaking awesome. I don't care if you believe in this shit or not. This is one awesome story. Beside her lifeless mistress, her eleven helpers trembled with terror. In Nibiru, in Nibiru's net they were captured. Unable they were to flee. So clearly... Uh, the moons, I guess you could say, that were surrounding Tiamat were now surrounding Nibiru. Kingu, who by Tiamat was made the chief host among them, the Lord put him to fetters. To his lifeless mistress, he bound him. Uh, so it's basically talking about Kingu becoming part of the remnants of what Tiamat was. He wrested from Kingu the tablets of destinies, 
unrightly to him given. I wonder what that is. And again, that's capitalized. The Tablet of Destinies. Stamped it with his own seal, fastened it, the destiny, to his own chest. The others of Tiamat's band, as captives he bound in his circuit, he them ensnared. He trampled them underfoot, cut them up to pieces. Oh, so he destroyed them. So all the little moons and shit went away. He bound them all to his circuit. To turn around, he made them backwards to course. Oh, so he basically took, so, so this planet Nibiru, he cut them up into pieces and he bound them to his circuit, making them his, their, you know, the planet Nibiru's moons. And then he made them with a backwards uh, rotation. Interesting. From the place of the battle, Nibiru then departed to the gods who had him appointed the victory to announce. He made a circuit about Apsu to Kinsar, Apsu being the sun, I believe. Kinsar and Ansar he journeyed. Gaga came out to greet him as a herald to the others he then journeyed. Beyond On and onto, Nibiru to the abode in the deep proceeded. The fate of lifeless Tiamat and Kingu he then considered. To Tiamat, whom he had subdued, the Lord Nibiru then returned. So he went around the sun, and now he's on his way back. He made his way to her, paused to view her lifeless body. To artfully divide the monster in his heart he was planning. Then as a muscle, into two parts he split her. Her chest from her lower parts he separated. Her inner channels he cut apart. Her golden veins be beheld with wonder. Trotting upon her hinder part, the Lord, her upper part, completely severed. So basically what he's saying, uh, there was a lower part. And again, we're getting back into the Bible here. You know, separate the, the, the as above, so below. Separating the, the, you know, separating the firmament from the, from the waters. Uh... He thrust away her severed head, the wind he commanded, in the void to place it. So basically the head of Tiamat, as they're describing it, became Earth, with Kingu, the moon, being fashioned to it. It was a dead planet. It was the remnants of it. Nibiru's wind upon Tiamat then hovered, sweeping upon her gushing waters. Ha! So he's basically saying Nibiru's wind, atmosphere... Uh, upon Tiamat, it then hovered, so he was close enough that he was able to sweep the gushing waters away. Nibiru shot a lightning to the north wind he gave signal. In a brilliance was Tiamat's upper part to the region unknown carried. So he so they basically carried away the upper part of Tiamat. With her bound, which, which is Earth, with her bound, Kingu also was exiled. Of the severed part, a companion to be. The hindered part's fate Nibiru then considered. As an everlasting trophy of the battle he wished to be. A constant reminder in the heavens, the place of the battle enshrined. With his mace, the hinder part he smashed to bits and pieces. Then strung them together as a band to form the hammered bracelet. Well, there you go. There's your asteroid belt. Locking them together as a watchman, he stationed them. A firmament to divide the waters from the waters. There you go. Bible reference. The upper waters above the firmament from the waters below it he separated. I mean, come on now. 
artful works Nibiru thus fashioned. The Lord then crossed the heavens to survey the regions. From Absu's quarter to the abode of Gaga, he measured the dimensions. The edge of the deep Nibiru then exclaimed, examined, excuse me, toward his birthplace, he cast a gaze. He paused and hesitated. Then to the firmament, the place of the battle, he slowly returned. Passing again in Absu's region, the sun missing the son's missing spouse, he thought with remorse. He gazed upon Tiamat's wounded half. To the upper part he gave attention. The waters of life, her bounty, from the wounds were still pouring. Her golden veins, Absu's rays reflecting. The seeds of life, his creator's legacy, Nibiru then remembered. When he trod in Tiamat, he split her asunder. To her seed, he surely imparted. He's basically talking about that earth will have life now. Uh, so he's created the seed of life. He addressed words to Absu, to him thus saying, With your warming rays, to the wounds give healing. So he's talking to the sun. This is where they're, they're describing this. Uh, With your warming rays, to the wounds give healing. Let the broken part be, uh, part new life be given in your family as a daughter to be let the waters to the one place be gathered <laughs> let the waters to the one place be gathered let firm land appear now that is friggin' interesting yes we have the atlantic ocean but has anybody ever taking uh, gone on google and looked at what earth would look like without the pacific ocean look at it there's a big ass freaking void on that side so when it sits here in this thing and says uh let the waters to one place be gathered let firm land appear i mean come on by firm land let her be called key henceforth her name to be so earth is a female it's funny i think it's pretty funny we call her mother earth and key is the name of it uh that was the sumerian's name for earth Absu to the words of Nibiru gave heed. Let the earth join my family. Key, firm land of the below. That's what key means. Firm land of the below. Let earth her name henceforth be. By her turning, let there be day and night. In its days, my healing rays shall I provide. Again, during the daytime, shit grows. Let Kingu be a creature of the night. To shine at night I shall appoint him, Earth's companion, the moon forever to be. Nibiru, the words of Absu with satisfaction heard. He crossed the heavens and surveyed the regions. To the gods who had him elevated, he granted per permanent stations. Their circuits he destined that none shall transgress or nor fall short of each other. He strengthened the heavenly locks, gates on both sides he established. The outermost abode he chose for himself, beyond Gaga, were its dimensions. So he's talking about that uh, Nibiru decided it's going to stay the hell out of middle, uh, the, the middle of the solar system, in a sense. The great circuit to be his destiny, he beseeched Absu for him decree. All the gods spoke up from their stations. Nibiru's sovereignty be surpassing. Most radiant of the gods is he... Let him truly be the son of the son to be. 
from his quarter Absu gave his blessings. Nibiru shall hold the crossing of heaven and earth. Crossing shall be his name. The gods shall cross over neither above nor below. He shall hold the central position. The shepherd of the gods he shall be. A shar shall be his circuit. That his destiny will forever be. Now this is the account of the olden times and how they began. And the era of... Oh boy. And of the era that in the annals of the golden era by name was known. And how from Nibiru to earth the mission went the gold to obtain. The escape of Alalu from Nibiru was beginning. With great understanding was Alalu endowed. Must knowledge he by learning acquired. So I just want to be clear before I get started and getting into the olden times. This is we're no longer talking about the planets. We've already discovered, you know, what the Sumerians had to say about the the planets being formed and Nibiru and all that stuff. This is actually we're getting back to uh, Alalu, uh, who landed on Earth at this point. By his forefather, Anshargal of the heavens and the circuits, much knowledge was amassed. By Enshar was knowledge greatly uh, augmented. Of that, Alalu made much learning. With the sages he discoursed, savants and commanders he consulted. So this guy basically asked a lot of questions. Uh, Thus was the knowledge of the beginning ascertained. Thus did Alalu this knowledge possess. So he's basically, everything I just read to you guys about the forming of the asteroid belt in the solar system and all that, he, he was knowledgeable about this because he asked a lot of questions. The gold in the hammered bracelet was the confirmation. The gold in the hammered bracelet of gold in Tiamat's upper half was the indication. So it's basically saying he's, well, I guess all the freaking olden stories are validated because I found gold in the in the, the hammered bracelet. So if there's gold in the hammered bracelet and Earth is half of what Tiamat used to be, uh, it's got to be on the freaking planet, right? At the planet of gold, Alalu victoriously arrived, his chariot with a thunder crashing. With a beam, he scanned the place, his whereabouts to discover. His chariot on dry land descended at the edge of... Of the extended marshes it landed he put on an eagle's helmet and uh, he put on a fish's suit the chariot's hatch he opened at the open hatch he stopped to wonder dark hued was the ground blue white were its skies uh, no sound there was there was no one to bid him welcome <clears throat> alone on an alien planet he stood Perchance from the Biru forever exiled. I'm going to be fucking stuck here forever. To the ground himself he lowered. On the dark-hued soil he stepped. There were hills in the distance. Nearby, much vegetation there was. Ahead of him were marshes. Into the marsh he stepped. By the water's coolness he shuddered. Back to the dry ground he stepped. Alone on an alien planet he stood. With thoughts he possessed of spouse and offspring longing he remembered. Was he forever from Nibiru exiled? Of that again and again he wondered. To the chariot he soon returned, with food and drink to be sustained. So he went back to the, he went back to the freaking spaceship or whatever the hell he came came on, the celestial chariot, 
to, to go get uh, to get some pizza and beer, pretty much. <clears throat> then the deep sleep he over he oh Jesus. Then deep sleep to uh, him overcame a powerful slumber. Again, I apologize. This is tough read here. How long he slept, he could not remember. What awakened him, he could not tell. A brightness was outside, a brilliance on Nibiru unseen. A pole from the chariot extended. Yeah, it's the fucking sun, you moron. The pole from the chariot he extended. With a tester, it was equipped. It breathed the planet's air. Compatibility, it indicated. So the, the Earth's air was breathable. Same in Nibiru. The chariot's hatch he opened. At the open hatch, he took a breath. Another breath he took, and another, and another. The air of key, indeed compatible, was. Alalu clapped his hands, a song of joy he was singing. Without an eagle's helmet, without fish's suit, to the ground he lowered himself. The brightness outside was blinding, the rays of the sun were overpowering. Into the chariot he returned, a mask for the eyes he donned. Yeah, you got a pair of fucking sunglasses, yeah, no shit. Don't go anywhere without a pair of sunglasses. I mean, I mean, really. I mean, this is, you know, however long ago this was. I mean, you got aliens. They're still wearing sunglasses. Just pack, pack a pair of sunglasses. He picked up the carried weapon. He picked up the handy sampler. And again, these are all capitalized. To the ground, he lowered himself. On the dark-hued soil, he stepped. He made his way toward the marshes. Dark greenish were her waters. Yeah, marsh water. By the marsh's edges there were pebbles. Alalu picked a pebble and into the marsh he thrust it. In the marsh, a moving his eyes glimpsed. The waters with fishes were filled. So clearly they got fish on Nibiru as they do. He knew what the hell a fish was. That's great. Into the marsh a sampler he lowered the murky waters to consider. For drinking the water was not fit. Yeah, no kidding. It's marsh water. Uh, I mean, come on now. You don't got to be Stephen Hawking to realize some of this. Whatever. Alalu was greatly disappointed. He turned away from the marshes in the direction of the hills he went. He made his way through vegetation, brushes, to trees gave way. The place was like an orchard. The trees with fruits were laden. By their sweet smell enticed, Alalu picked the fruit. In his mouth he put it. Sweet was the smell, sweeter was the taste. Alalu greatly in... Alalu greatly delighted. Away from the sun's rays, Alalu was walking toward the hills he set his direction. Among the trees, a wetness under his feet as he sensed a sign of close-by waters. In the direction of the wetness, he set his course. In the midst of the forest, there was a pond, a pool of silent waters. Into the pond, the sampler he lowered, for drinking water was good. Alalu laughed. An unstoppable laughter seized him. The air was good, the water for drinking was fit, there was fruit, there were fishes. With eagerness, Alalu bent down together, his hands he cupped water to his mouth he brought. A coolness did the water have, a taste from Nibiru's water different. Interesting. Once more he drank, then with a fright he asunder jumped. A hissing sound could be heard. A slithering body by the poolside was moving. <laughs> Uh, that's interesting. Uh, I'm pretty sure the Garden of Eden, which is what I'm assuming they're going to, what they're, in a sense, uh, describing here, uh, there's a snake. He carried 
his carried weapon he seized, a blast of its race toward the hissing he directed. You pansy ass, you shot the freaking snake. Give me a break. <clears throat> the moving stopped, the hissing was ended. <sighs> Scared of a freaking snake. To examine the danger, Alalu stepped forward. The slithered body lay still. Dead was the creature. A sight most strange, like a rope its long body was. Without hands or feet was the body. Fierce eyes were in its small head. Out of its mouth, a long tongue was sticking. A sight on Nibiru never beheld it was. A creature of another world. Was it the or orchard's guardian? Alalu to himself pondered. Was it the water's master himself? He asked. In the carried flask, he some water collected with alertness to the chariot he made his way the sweet fruits he also picked to the chariot he set his course the brightness of the sun's rays was greatly diminished the darkness it was the chariot he reached so it's getting dark out yeah no shit the shortness of the day alalu pondered its shortness him amazed from the direction of the marches cool lightness on the horizon what the hell Again, tough read, guys. From the direction of the marshes, a cool lightness on the horizon was rising. Oh, okay. He's talking about the freaking moon. A white-hued ball in the heavens was quickly rising. Kingu, the Earth's companion, he now beheld. What in the accounts of the beginning, his eyes, his eyes, the truth could now see. The planet, the planets and their circuits, the hammered bracelet, key, the Earth, Kingu, its moon, all were created by the names were called. In his heart, Alalu knew one more truth a beholding needed. The God, the gold, the means of salvation to be found was indeed. If truth be in the beginning tales, if by the waters the golden veins of Tiamat were washed, in the waters, key, its cut off half, Gold must be found. With hands unsteady, Alalu the tester, again capitalized, uh, again, I'm assuming that this is uh, Zechariah Sitchin's way of he, he's capitalizing things because there's no real word that translates over. So he's making it a point to say that I think this is a tester. I think this is a emitter. I think this is a pulser is the best way he can describe it in a sense. Uh, with st hands unsteady, Alalu, the tester from the chariot's pole, diminished. With trembling hands, the fish chute he donned, the fast-arriving daylight eagerly awaiting. This was getting cold out. Oh, shit. At daybreak, the chariot he exited to the marshes he quickly stepped. Into the deep waters he waded, the tester into the waters he inserted. Its illuminated face he eagerly watched. <laughs> wow. I, I mean, this is incredible. I mean, they're talking about... A tester with an illuminated face that he's looking at. Uh, I mean, if this isn't, I mean, I'm ancient aliens, I have a hard time buying into uh, because I mean, everything's everything's an alien. Uh, I'm, I'm not down with everything that's done by aliens or, or extraterrestrials or people who came before us, but I mean, uh, I mean, right here, 5,000 year old text. You can't even say it's a text, it's a cuneiform tablet, not something written on paper. Something that's withstood the test of time for a very long time. The water's contents was the tester indicating by symbols and numbers its findings disclosing. I mean, it's a freaking computer. 
Then Alalu's heartbeat stopped. There's gold in the waters, the tester was telling. Unsteady on his legs, Alalu stepped forward. Deeper into the marshes, he made way. Again, he, the tester, into the waters inserted. Again, the tester, gold announced. A cry of, a cry, a cry of triumph from Alalu's throat emanated. Nibiru's fate was in his hands now. Back to the chariot, he made his way. The fish's suit off he took. The commander's seat he occupied. The tablet of destinies that knows all circuits he enlivened to Nibiru's circuit to find the direction. The speaker of words, again, of all, all capitalized, the speaker of words he stirred up. <laughs> Toward Nibiru, the words to carry. And again, that's probably a collection of words in cuneiform. You know, speaker, words, of I'd love to, again, I really, I don't know how to read cuneiform tablet. I've studied it a little bit. I know certain little symbols and stuff, but I would love to see how somebody else would translate that. The speaker of words he stirred up toward Nibiru, the words to carry. Then to Nibiru, words he uttered, thus saying, the words of the great Alalu to Anu on Nibiru are directed. On another world I am, the gold of salvation I have found. The fate of Nibiru is in my hands. To my conditions, you must give heed. And that's the end of the second tablet. Um, before, I, I'm going to read the synopsis just for next time, so you guys can know what's going on next time. But I, I have to just say, you know, the reason why I'm reading this on the Freemasons podcast, and this is a special, is you know, knowledge is power. Uh, we've all said this. Franklin, uh, Benjamin Franklin said this. Knowledge is power. I mean, this is... Not nothing new, and even if you don't buy into this, even if you don't believe into it, one of the things that Masons do is we think. And if this story, if this book, if these tablets don't get you thinking, I don't know what the hell will. Now, whether or not you believe it, whether or not you're on board with it, doesn't matter. It gets you thinking. And to me personally, these are things that I would love for Lodge to talk more about. I would love to actually sit there in the lodge and, and contemplate this type of stuff. You know, not the bullshit about the meetings, not the bullshit about the, oh, well, you put the wrong vial in your minutes, right, Worshipful George? Like, I, I, it's all bullshit. I don't care about that. And I think if we as Masons read more and contemplated more, I mean, that's what Masons did. It's the whole, that was the whole damn purpose of Freemasonry off the jump. It wasn't to read minutes. It wasn't to do degrees. Degrees were part of it. It was the contemplation of knowledge. And I think that's why I'm reading this on the podcast. That's why I'm reading it uh, for you guys. Not because I care whether or not you buy into this or you buy into the whole ancient aliens, somebody put us here, you know, we were a creation of the on and on. I don't care about that. It gets you thinking. And these, some of these things, I mean, we take our, our lessons in Freemasonry out of the Bible and some other lessons from other books of, of you know, scripture or whatever you want to, whatever your particular religion is. But, I mean, now you take these tablets, which predate all that, and you're, I mean, you're, you're picking certain things out of this. It, 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 even if you don't buy into it, it gets you thinking. And I think that's what's the most important part of me reading this, and that's why I'm doing this. Uh, again, tough read. 
Uh, he's trying to, not only I think uh, Zechariah Sitchin was uh, from Lithuania, so there was a little bit of a language barrier, number one. So, but also you're translating 5,000-year-old texts where words may not carry over, so he's capitalizing words like uh, weapons of terror is capitalized because there's no word for it in a sense. So he's trying to fill in the blanks as best as he can. Let's get into the synopsis of the third tablet and then uh, we'll stop this recording here and uh, you guys can tune in next time for this. But the synopsis of the third tablet. Alalu beams the news to Nibiru, reclaims the kingship. So he's basically saying, I, I run this bitch. Anu, astounded, puts the issue before the royal council and Lil, Anu's foremost son, suggests on-site verification. Ea, which is Ea, Ea, Anu's firstborn and son-in-law of Alalu, is chosen instead. Ea ingeniously equips the celestial boat for the journey. The spaceship, piloted by Anzu, carries 50 heroes. So only 50 Anunnaki came here off the, off the beginning. Overcoming perils, the Nibiruans thrill by Earth's sight. Guided by Alalu, they splash down and wade ashore. Iridu, home away from home, which is what Iridu uh, breaks down to, is established in seven days. <laughs> Let's get into some Bible shit right there. Established in seven days. Yeah, we're going to break that down real good. Extraction of gold from the water begins. Though the quantity is minuscule, Nibiru demands delivery. Abgal, a pilot, chooses Alalu's spaceship for the trip. Forbidden nuclear weapons are discovered in the spaceship. Ya and Abgal remove the weapons of terror and hide them. And uh, we're going to get into that next time. I want to thank you all for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this. Please, if you're liking what I'm doing, uh, a review on Apple iTunes or even reaching out to us on YouTube, Anchor, however. Let me know what you guys think about this. Um, I'm reading this for for no other reason than to spark some other conversation other than the same old Lodge crap. So uh, I'd love to hear your guys' input. If you could please do so. You can reach me on Instagram, Freemasons Podcast, as well as George Mudry. I am on there. Reach out to me. Let me know what you guys think. I'd love to hear your feedback. And uh, for the Freemasons Podcast, this special episode in the second tablet of Enki, this is right, Worship Brother George Mudry, and I'm out. No, no, no.